Well, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Um, had a great conversation this week with Brady Miller from Go Hunt. And um, Brady, if you've followed him on Instagram or anything like that, um, or just you know from the YouTube content from Go Hunt, he's there. Um, he's kind of in charge of their content creation over there and he's just a killer resource as far as i mean really all things western hunting e-scouting um you know firearms load development and but really his specialty is mule deer he's a mule deer fanatic um you know we kind of talk about it a little bit too but maybe it's because we both come from a whitetail background but i sort of kind of lean that way as well i'm kind of a little bit more attracted to mule deer than elk right now for some reason so um and as i've mentioned before this upcoming season 2022 i do have two mule deer tags in my pocket in two different states so i'm really excited and they're they're very different hunts one's an october mountain hunt in idaho and then one's um kind of a breaks country um eastern montana probably um november rut hunt so um really excited about lord willing you know getting my first mule deer this year me and Brady talk about a lot of different stuff from his background to um, hunting deer in these different terrain types and different seasons. And, you know, that Montana general tag is a, is a tag that a lot of guys hunt. So I think it's information that'll be good for, you know, a lot of folks out there that are heading out to Montana this year. Um, you know, we talk about gear as well and um, some of the hunts he did last year. He just had a film come out called uh, One More Ridge, which was filmed by my buddy Luke, um, who I'm going to be doing uh, my Idaho hunt with this year. So um, just a really good conversation, you know, really good back and forth. Brady's a really fun guy to talk to be very passionate about Western hunting, especially mule deer. I think you guys will like it. And, um, since this, you know, he does work for go hunt, um, and they're a new partner. I just want to remind you again, one more time, you can use the code quest in the gear shop to get an insider membership at outdoor class and to get a uh, explorer membership for mapping. Um, go hunt is an amazing resource for learning, for researching, for finding opportunities to hunt out West. If you want to expand into the West, um, I, I definitely recommend go hunt. I've been using it for years since I first started. Um, and they've helped me, um, get pretty much every tag I've gotten so far. I've, you know, either used their, I have every single tag I've gotten out West. I have used go hunt extensively to get it to research. Um, so and then also, you know, their gear shop is killer. Um, it's curated, which means, you know, they don't just put whatever in there. It's it's all gear that they've used and tested and they know it's good stuff. So um, anywhere on those four things, you know, if you want to get outdoor class membership, which is an e-learning platform for learning about Western hunting, uh, you want to get mapping software, you want to get the insider membership, or if you want to pick up some gear in the gear shop, use that code quest, you'll save 20%, which is a great deal. And you will also be directly supporting the show. And I would really appreciate it. So I know you guys are going to be out there shopping for something. I know there's something you need for the upcoming season. If you got to buy it, um, you know, you might as well buy it from Go Hunt. They also have a killer deal where, I mean, um, you get points. Every time you buy, you get points, and it's one point equals $1 for in the gear shop. So um, so sign up there, use that code QUEST, save 20%, and you'll help me out. Uh, I'd really appreciate that. So let's just jump in here to this conversation with Brady Miller from Go Hunt.
Welcome, guys, to the podcast. This is your host, Hunter, and I'm here with Brady Miller from Go Hunt. What's up, buddy? Oh, man. Good to be back talking about hunting. So, <laughs> yeah, you, finally, you finally pinned me down, which was the, it took the some hard persistence. Part. Yep. <laughs> I had to get some uh I had to get some backdoor help from Matt Ashley. But that's that's, that's why I like having Matt around because he's good to like pin <laughs> down like, hey, you gotta do this. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to respond to his text message like two months ago. <laughs> it's all good, man. I know you're busy and you got stuff going on. So I appreciate you uh coming on and making the time though. Oh, looking forward to it. Always always enjoy talking about anything related to hunting or yeah, deer or, or whatever whatever we get into. So you're you're based in Vegas, right? Yeah, kind of. Unfortunately, it's it's hot. <laughs> it's hot down here. Yeah, how's the weather right now? It's got to be like surface of the sun right now, huh? Oh yeah, you don't want to go outside during the daylight, and even like some of the evenings when I go out and run, like we're getting to the point where it'll be dark out and it's still uh-huh. like a hundred degrees, and I'm like, oh wow, no one's meant to really live here. Like, yeah. why, why is this? Why is this down here? It would not exist without irrigation and air conditioning. Exactly. <laughs> Like when I remember I would come to Vegas one time and I was flying in, it's just like brown desert and then like, and you're just like, this would not exist without sprinkler systems. Yep. <laughs> I, I never owned a TV in my life because I you know lived in Minnesota and then I, I moved to Montana, I lived in Montana most of my life. Never owned a TV in Montana until I moved to Vegas because like there's nothing else to do in the summer wow. in, the, in the evening besides for watch TV. Like in Montana, yeah. you always go outside, there's something to do, but here it's like, yeah concrete jungle you learn to watch a lot of youtube on tv or whatever else shows there is nowadays it's like yeah and i was asking lorenzo like about you know pulling together the team he's got over there and i was like i just imagine you like dragging brady like off a mountainside and he's like yeah pretty much he was in the tent for like 130 days or something (laughs) yep the mountains were my life and that's why i never thought i'd ever make it to nevada live in las vegas of all places and uh yeah do you get any, like, is there any advantage to being a resident in terms of getting tags there? Or is it still just as tough? It's still very tough. I mean, I used to pick up some easy to draw archery mule deer tags back in the day, and that was really fun. But then I got to thinking, it's like Nevada is so well known as like a trophy mule deer state that I should mm-hmm. probably switch my strategy around and, you know, do some relatively easy hunts in other states and just build points. So right now I'm just back okay. on building point train in Nevada. So hard to draw like i don't don't have a single nevada tag this year yeah what like what ballpark how many points you need for a decent hunt out there i haven't i've started building points but i haven't like even really looked into nevada super hard yet yeah as a non-resident it's kind of a crapshoot i mean you're gonna be 10 plus years probably for a lot of these hunts and even as a resident i mean there's probably some decent hunts i could get with you know six to seven points kind of kind of getting in the game and obviously it depends on where i'm going to go or what weapon like muzzleloader hunts are a little bit easier but residents okay. definitely do have a really good advantage and we have you know phenomenal elk hunting in the states so you pick up any sort of elk tag in nevada it's going to be pretty coveted so yeah that's just, that's just my struggle right now is i have you know 10 to 16 points for elk in every single western state and i'm not an elk Whoa. guy but by any means so it's like i got to like pick out each year which elk hunt do i want to try to draw or do i just want to do points because i have you know mule there my number one thing so yeah I have to try to plan those so I don't have a bunch of elk hunts in one year because I am at that point where I'm knocking on the door of going on some pretty cool elk hunts. Yeah, dude. So what do you got on the, on the menu for this fall? So this fall, I actually just returned from a scouting trip up in Idaho. 
cool scout scouting over the fourth of july weekend and so i have an idaho over-the-counter deer tag and then i have a colorado second rifle mule deer tag as well okay nice so a build. little a little light on the hunts this year but it allows me to put more time in that's why i'm probably going to go try to scout colorado and just do both those hunts to the best of my ability instead of getting stretched thin because it's, it could, it's nice having you know going to three states maybe even four states a year but then it also is a lot of pressure you're gone all the time trying to like and me in the content world, it's so it's actually hard to get away during the fall because I have to schedule my content for the entire week I'm gone. Yep. Make sure all the people working for me have all the social stuff going out. And then mm-hmm. I have to make sure content's ready to go after I leave and all the freelance writers are doing their job. So wow. it gets a little stressful, but that's why I put in all the hours in the summer and the winter. Yep. In the fall, but that's what I'm trying to do now, man, is just like just freaking burn through as many podcasts as i can like these next two months i'm just like hitting everybody up on instagram like hey come on so so that when fall comes i'll just have like a nice little stockpile going you know yep that's smart you gotta you gotta do it because it's like even this weekend i was like man do i really want to drive all the way up to idaho to scout (laughs) and i'm like well i get you know we had four day weekend basically we had tuesday off at go on so i made it worthwhile and i was like well gas prices are only going to keep going higher and higher might as well do it now. Yeah. Do a little boots on the ground reconnaissance work and just kind of check out the unit, drive a bunch of roads, hike up some glassing spots and just glass big country. And even though I'm not really looking to find deer at this time of year, like sure it'd be great to see a bunch of big giant bucks and know like, Oh wow, there's big deer in this area. I'm just mainly yeah. like just checking it out, seeing what's yeah. there. Cause it's a totally new unit to me. That's nice, man. Like that's the one thing that's tough about coming from the East is, you know, luckily we have nice tools like go hunt, but, um, it just there's nothing that can replace uh, just getting out there even if it's just for your own peace of mind and confidence you're like i've been here before i know which roads are closed which ones are crappy you know what yep. you know what i'm saying yeah e- even this weekend i was like trying to figure out okay i'm gonna need to have x amount of gas like extra gas cans just in case you know my plan mm-hmm. doesn't work when i go out there in october and i need to drive around or it's so remote of an area what if i run into another hunter who you know doesn't have gas and mm-hmm. need to you know switch things like even this weekend i had to I had to jump one vehicle. I had to help another person out, do something on their vehicle too. It's like, you never know what you're going to run into when you're out in the mountains. So it's That's like true. trying trying to reemphasize like all the gear, extra gear I bring in my truck. Like I have to make sure I have that dialed because like, I forgot, you know, I forgot my battery jump pack this weekend. Luckily I still had jumper cables, but like if my truck died, I need to have all that extra gear and yeah. you know, start to get all the shovels and, you know, tire inflation tools, patch kits and all that stuff. It's like, there's a lot besides for like your hunting gear. You need like all that extra stuff too, especially you guys like traveling all the way out here. It's like, oh, dude, it's such, can't a, imagine. It's such a headache. I know, man. Like, so for bear season, I actually drove out to Idaho, which was nice. Cause I had all my stuff and I didn't have to like pick and choose. And you know, I, so that was nice, but it was like, solid three days solid three days of driving on both sides and like like uh, when i got home because i'd been you know in the backcountry for 10 days and then driving for three days i was just eating non-stop garbage and sitting on my butt for three days like my legs are swollen up i think it gained like 10 pounds <laughs> yeah i was even doing the thing last night because i got home at like 2 30 this morning do the thing where I'm like leaning on one side of my leg, leaning on the <laughs> other side while I'm driving, just so uncomfortable. And I'm like, oh, yeah, just so, get me, get me home. And like, that's yeah. Like, so last, no, yeah, I think it was last year or two years ago. I, I can't, I 
can't, it's all blurring together, but I went and filmed for Dan from Elk Shape, and that dude has everything in the world in his truck. Like, he has an entire bow shop in his truck. He has, like, an entire, like, mechanic shop in his truck. <laughs> like, like yeah. some, like, one of the other guys, um, bike like he crashed and broke something on his bike and like he had all like extra like brake handle like i was like man this dude is freaking prepared for anything rather you know yeah you got to prepare for the worst unfortunately and it's like it only only takes one trip or something goes wrong where you're like yep that's never gonna happen to me again i'm gonna Mm -hmm. throw everything and the kitchen sink in my vehicle and just go yeah man well, that's cool. It sounds like you got a good a good year lined up. Um, I am a little interested because I don't really know much about like your background stuff. Like, I know you're from Minnesota. Yep. Um, so that means there has to be some sort of like Batman Begins type story of how be, how you became a legendary mule deer slayer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so how did how did you get into Western hunting and and do you think your your love of mule deer? Did you, I'm assuming you started with whitetail. Yep. Yep. Started yeah. with whitetail. Yeah. Is that how you think you got your love for the mule deer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Growing up in Minnesota, um, my dad was always a person who would you know, get us, like I have two younger brothers. He would always get us in the outdoors, whether it's fishing, hunting. I was really big into trapping when I was in Minnesota. Mm. So just like uh, learning all these like small little life lessons about like being outside, the adventure about it, not being you know, at home on a computer or watching TV or anything like that. So it's always just getting us outside. I think like that's the main reason why I just got this love of adventure and just kind of being by myself and doing, you know, cool things and put myself in cool places. Mm. And so I grew up hunting whitetails, killed, you know, several whitetails and I lived in Minnesota, but while growing up, my dad would always travel out West. Oh, he was doing it himself, huh? Yeah. So him and his buddies, you know, even from there, they're, you know, learning it back in the day. I don't know how people learned about going out West back in the day. Like, yeah, I was talking that like when I started, I started using go hunt like years ago, like right when I started, I don't know how I would have like figured it out without like, I yeah. even like had to like text trail a couple of times and like ask him stuff. And he's so nice. He like responded. So, but yeah, it's crazy, man. Yeah. So he, he, like, I always would go out West. He'd go to Montana, Wyoming, you know, Colorado, and he just come back sometimes like they do this like big Wyoming, Montana trip. They come back with just piles of animals in the back of the truck. Like it'd be, it'd be like, you know, like eight guys going out there. Yeah. He comes back and just says like all the animals we saw, like it's all on public land. Yeah. Like we're just out there grinding it. You can glass animals like every day you can either make success or just lay back and watch animals. It's totally different than sitting in a stand yeah, you, know, you have to play the wind right. You're not seeing any animals. You have to wait for that right time. That buck's getting up and moving, and just like him talking about all these stories of stalking animals, seeing elk, seeing deer, glassing, and then just, I was just like, man, that sounds way better than anything I am doing in Minnesota or anything I did yeah. with him before. Like I could actually hunt in Minnesota, so I always had this bug of like the cool stories he'd come back with. He'd come back with like video cameras, like way back in the day that I really need to try to remember a note, like try to get all that footage. That'd be like cool. he, he has some really old school, like, you know, just the big giant video cameras of like yeah. their hunts in Montana and Wyoming. So you come back and show me all that. I'm like, my gosh, it looks like a wild adventure. Yep. And then there was one point where we went on like a family vacation to like the Badlands, you know, did Mount Rushmore, that whole thing. Uh-huh. And I was seeing mule deer, I was seeing antelope. And I was like, this is the kind of country you hunt. He's like, yeah, like you just up on high knobs glassing and just, you know, going and putting stocks on animals. And I was like, that's, 
something I have to do. So right away when I got to the age where you know, I started looking at colleges, I applied for University of Montana in Missoula. And oh, okay. then, I, then I applied in Bozeman as well. And I always thought like, you know, I want to move out West and I want to hunt. Like that's literally, they, both my parents knew like me going to Montana for college. It was basically me going to Montana to hunt. <laughs> so like, I was like, well, I don't want to actually, you know, work all fall. I want to try to find a job where I could be outdoors, but you know, go hunting still. So like, I'm going to do this fisheries biology thing that way, you know, in the West, all the fish, you know, activity starts in you know April, goes through the summer, maybe a little bit in October. Yeah. And then I actually applied for University of Minnesota as well. But then we took a trip out to Montana to go look at the schools. And once I went to uh, Missoula and checked out that place, I was like, yeah, there's no way I am even going to look at University of Minnesota. Like I'm coming out West 100%. Yeah. So I left everything behind. And once I, I was, I graduated high school when I was 17. So I was barely 18, drove all the way up to Montana, didn't know a single person. And was like, just throw myself into this world of Western hunting. And I just had this bug growing up, watching all those movies, talking to my dad, like the West is where I want to be. And at first, when I go out there, like all my dad's friends, even my dad, they're like, oh, like you're going to have, you're going to be spoiled out West. Like elk hunting is so great. You're going to love elk hunting. Like, cause you're just giant, you know, big, mm -hmm. huge animals, giant antlers. And, you know, I did some elk hunting with some friends and I was like, yeah, it's kind of fun, but like, it still didn't excite me as much as like going deeper in the mountains, getting higher elevation, like going to really cool places. as like, I thought like mule deer hunting was like watching old videos, you know, like people got guys are, you know, just throwing all the gear in their back and you obviously do that elk hunting. But like, to me, it was just like mule deer seemed like the cooler animal here. And maybe it was just because I sucked at elk hunting. <laughs> why I became a, why I became a mule deer hunter at first, but like, I'd always had a bug about mule deer growing even in Minnesota, but they're like, man, you got to try this elk hunting thing. Got to try this elk hunting thing. And still to this day, they're like, why don't you elk hunt? You live in the coolest place in the West and everyone there dreams of elk. But I'm like, no, mule deer are the most majestic animal in the world. Mm -hmm. They take you to the coolest places. And it's not an easy hunt. It can be easy hunt, but like they put you in a place where you're literally struggling. Like to me, mule deer hunting isn't sunshine and roses. And as most people know, like, I'm addicted to pain, suffering, just like, to, <laughs> just like to push myself as far as I can go in the mountains. And I feel yeah. like to me, that's why mule deer are just so cool because you have to put that effort in every single day to get up there. And so like, I just got that mule deer bug right away when I moved to Montana and, you know, just seeing mule deer in the mountains for the first time, I was like, yeah. It's a great that, state to be a mule deer hunter in too. It's kind of like nature's arcade. I hate to say it because, like, obviously people are like, oh, yeah, that's why tags are hard to draw because, you know, everyone talks about Montana and all these other cool places. But, like, there are so many deer out there. Yeah. There's more There's more deer than the state even knows how many deer there are because, like, it's just a phenomenal place. And then, like. That's good to hear because I have a Montana general deer tag this year. Oh, I am super jealous. That's going to be <laughs> so fun. I can't wait. Well, I want to ask you more about that later, but continue. Yeah. So, like, after you know, hunting the, hunting the mountains a little bit for deer. Then I finally like met up with a friend in college who was like, Hey, I got this, you know, I, I grew up in, you know, the Eastern part of Montana. Do you want to go with me on a hunt one weekend? I was like, yeah, let's we'll do it. So, you know, classes ended at what in the end Friday, a certain time we drove all night, <clears throat> excuse me, we drove all night to uh, his little honey hole. And it's this open, you know, breaks type coolie country. And that was my first experience at hunting that type of stuff. And the mm. amount of mule deer we saw just was mind blowing to me. Like I've been hunting the mountains since I moved there and then right. seeing that and uh, just glassing up deer. Like, I think one day we actually like 
or in two days, we saw, I think 70, some mule deer bucks in two wow. days. Obviously there's a lot of, a lot of small deer, some decent right. deer, but I was like, man, if I could find the prototypical, you know, big classic four by four mule deer, big fronts, big backs, like that's the buck I want to go after. And finally found a deer that met my criteria made an awesome stock on it. And at the time I was like, I'm going to have to take a shot over 300 yards. Like that's just mind blowing to me, you know, living in Minnesota. Right. And I tried to practice that a little bit. And that was like, you know, I set up on this buck belly crawled for, I don't know how long through all the sagebrush got set up. Buck was bedded, just waiting him out to stand up. And I was like, this is what I need to be doing the rest of my life. Like the adrenaline rush I had of like yeah. stalking in on that buck, sitting there waiting for him to stand up. Finally, he stands up and it was like 380 yard shot. Took the shot of my 300 wind meg has no break on it. And I'm this, you know, pretty tall, skinny guy. So like it definitely knocked me around back in the day and like watching that animal fall in that terrain and then walking up and picking his rack out of the sagebrush. Like that was a turning point to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yep, there's no way I'm ever hunting elk again. Like <laughs> these mule deer, like the, the, the style we hunted, the way, like, like obviously hunting mule deer in the mountains is different than hunting in that terrain, but like they're very similar. And I was just full on addicted at that point. Like nice. everything I did from that point forward was trying to get mule deer hunting a lot more. And so staying in Montana was really fun because then I, you know, I backpacked basically every single weekend. And later on, I got a job as a fisheries biologist for United States Geological Survey. And so I was in the best shape of my life, going to test out all this great backpacking gear, buying it all the time and just going out there and just putting myself in cool places to keep scouting mule deer. And I just learned that the mountains or a place I want to be at first, it was like, I can't believe, I don't think I've told many people this, but the first time I actually moved to Montana that first year, I was like, yeah, mountains are really cool, all that stuff. But I had that, you know, experience in like central Eastern Montana. I was like, maybe the mountains aren't for me. Maybe I just want to like visit them every now and then, but still like trying to do some of that open country hunting. Mm -hmm. Went back to Minnesota for summer working and then came back to Montana. And I was like, I'm an idiot. Like <laughs> I love the mountains. There's, I don't know what I was thinking. Like yeah. at first I was like kind of like intimidating, you know, they're big, yeah. they're hard to get around it. And I was like, what was I ever thinking about that? So then that's, yeah, jumping around a little bit, but I just got addicted to, you know, put myself in cool places. And that's what I think mule deer take me is super cool place. I wake up every day and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. Like looking over all this vast country, watching animals, be animals, glassing from afar, trying to figure out ways to put stocks on them. Like it's just so addicting to me to be up high looking at deer or looking at elk or bears or whatever else it is. And it's glassing animals. I just, there's nothing that compares to that in my life at all. Maybe it's, awesome. it's and the whole like struggle, I mentioned struggle all the time. It's like that struggle of going on a mule deer hunt that like literally does give me purpose. Like I'm a very competitive person, you know, very competitive in basketball when I was younger and even recently in, in Vegas playing basketball with all these like ex NBA players. Like I love that competition. And so like this, I feel like the same way when I'm mule deer hunting, like the more you know fit I am, the harder I can hunt. And like, obviously you don't need to be fit to hunt, but like I can just use that to motivate myself to be a better hunter every single oh, yeah. day. And, and every time I go back when I'm up in the mountains, I'm like, yeah, why would I ever want to go back to town? Why would I ever want to go back to seeing people? Like, I feel <laughs> like I was born in the wrong era because I just love the mountains and love being up there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so weird, like coming down out of the, like, if you've been up there for like 10 days and you come down like back into society and it's just like, everything is just so strange and like, just kind of gross. <laughs> yep. The <laughs> but, only thing um, I, the only thing I ever realized is like, you realize the importance of how easy it is to get water. Yeah. 
you like, oh, it's walk over here to the faucet, turn it on, get a now. You do appreciate that stuff a whole lot more. It's like, man, I should drink a lot more water during the day because when I'm on the mountains, that's a hot commodity. It's hard to find. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So this year, um, is kind of the year of the deer for me. Hopefully, um, I have two mule deer tags. I have one in Idaho and that Montana tag. So I'm kind of with you, man. I mean, um, I'm definitely got elk in my horizons, you know, I'm building points and stuff like that. But like something about the mule deer, I just, I just like, I don't know. I just, I can't put my finger on it. I just think they're sick. Yep. Every, I just like, really want to kill one. Even the way they look, just their face, their, their antler configuration, their, their mm-hmm. demeanor of how they walk around the mountain, how they kick other bucks out of their bed and bed in that same spot. And just like, they're badass, man. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just so remarkable to me. And like where they live, you know, they're at the top of the mountain. Like it's basically in my mind too, it's like a poor man's sheep hunt. Cause mm-hmm. like you're actually hunting them in places where there's sheep or there's mountain goats and you're on the top of the mountain. So like you're getting every part of adventure and a, a struggle and a hunt that I want, but it's like while pursuing an animal that just is built to survive up there. Yeah, man. Um, so, so you got your start kind of in college. Um, it, that was your first mule deer, the one that you shot in the uh, Eastern Montana. Yep. That was my first mule deer. And yeah, like I said, after that, I was, completely con- consumed with mule deer so that hunt like um there's there's a chance i might so i might go with like mark and ryan and brian and those guys but so mark wants to get his son a deer and you know of course they want to get paley a deer and there's like a bunch of people and so um i might just try to do my own thing instead mm-hmm. i'm not sure yet i haven't decided um, is that kind of, do you think that's a hunt where like someone like me, beginner level experience could go out there and, you know, if I give it 10 days and really put in the work can be successful. And again, I'm not, um, I'm at the point where like, yeah, I'd love a nice deer, but I'm not looking for like a giant, like I'd be happy with like a nice deer. You know what I mean? Yep. I a hundred percent. Like that's the type of hunt. If you want to go out there and just cut your teeth and learn about glassing techniques, learn about you know, cause like most likely you're probably going to be going out there like, you know, during November. Yeah. So it's going to be that, you know, the, the smell of, you know, the rut is, it can definitely be in the air. Bucks are going to be chasing does. It's a great time to be there, especially to get some snow. But it's like, to me, the biggest thing when I go in that country is like, there's so many different places that you'll see people all over the place. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a lot of hunters for sure. Yeah. And just trying to figure out those places where you can like navigate in that public private mess there's so there's so many places where I've glassed and we have another truck will like pull up next to us and we're just glassing from the truck for a little bit and they're glassing and they're like, Oh, what are you guys going to do? We're just like, Oh yeah, you know, we're just going to hang out here for a little bit and drive somewhere else. And so they get discouraged too. And they leave. And then once they leave, that's when we hop out of our vehicle and you have to navigate this big, long section of privates all the way down the bottom. But you can just go through a sliver of public that ends up getting you behind this big canyon area that no one can really access because there's no way to access on the other side. This is the only way to get across. And then we have just endless miles of public land. And we just mm. we have these big ridge systems. We just walk and glass them and glass every little big draw, every big coulee, and just get away from people. And then like you will see so many deer. And it's like the hardest part about that is just figuring out like what deer you want to take. Like you will see lots of deer, 
there'll be a lot of two points. I'll have three points, some smaller yeah. four points. And it's just like kind of weeding through the deer just to find the one that makes you excited. It doesn't have to be a giant rack. Like I've told people a lot of times before, like I kill deer just because like the cool environment it's in, if it's a nasty snowstorm and I'm like yeah. struggling cause I'm cold and all of a sudden I see a, a decent deer. It's like, that's a deer that has a story behind it to me. Yeah. So, like, that's something that I enjoy pursuing. And so like, that's that type of country where every single day you're probably going to learn more and more about it and learn where the deer are and learn where they do when it's windy. Do they go down and all these like, you know, little juniper patches or are they up rutting or yeah. like more times you can even just glass from your vehicle and just glass far distances and then hike around. Like I said, it's like that country is just made for someone who wants to cut their teeth on, on hunting mule deer. That's awesome. Yeah, for me, like even with whitetails, like I've never been like super into size or score numbers and stuff like that. But it's just like sometimes you just see a deer and you're like, it just gets you excited. And you're like, yeah, I want that deer. Like I want that deer, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not like, yeah, I'm not a big trophy hunter. But um, so is that? So I was talking to to Robbie Denning a couple of weeks ago about that hunt too, and um, he's more of a big, nice, comfy base camp type guy. Um, and, uh, I'm more in my fairly limited experience. I'm more of a backcountry style, but I don't have nothing against base camps either. Um, does that, that specific hunt lend itself kind of one way or the other, or is it kind of, you could do either one or you can do either one. And I think you're going to put yourself at a way bigger advantage if you do try to either backpack it a little bit Mm -hmm. and throw out a teepee with a stove. Yeah. Because like most people in that country, like it's cold, right? Like, it's brutally cold. So a lot of people are staying at hotels or they're, you know, pulling like a snowmobile trailer and have that parked somewhere and like drive on their four wheelers. But again, you got to realize that every single day, these people who are staying in hotels have to wake up super early, yep. way early than you out. do, drive all the way out there. And then the evening drive all the way back. They might go into yeah. town, get a meal. And now it's super late. They're tired every day. So as the hunt goes on, you're way more beneficial. I think if you can stay out there or stay close by where you're hunting and do a little small base camp, it doesn't have to be a big base camp. You can base camp next to your truck and every day just keep moving your base camp or mm-hmm. pack up your stuff and actually do some backpacking, even though it's not like country that's going to kill you. Yeah. But like backpacking and getting in some of those sweet public land spots and just camping up like every day you wake up, it's like, you're fresh. Yeah. And even like mm-hmm. heading out, like maybe have a base camp and then head out for three, four days instead of like mm-hmm. trying to carry like 10 days of stuff. Yeah, you definitely which don't want to do that. Especially with camera gear, which is like retarded. Yep. And that, and that time of year, too, like you're carrying so much clothes. You basically look like a Michigan yeah. man because, like, you're <laughs> every single insulation layer you have on, like, yeah. you're going to need all of that. Because, like, the thing I see, too, a lot of times people don't sit in glass country that often because, like, it is so cold or yeah. always you're glassing into the wind. Like, you're always glassing into the north. The wind's just blasting you the whole time. So, like, people do get discouraged and start driving around. When they start driving around, they're missing so many little hidden pockets. Like when you get out and actually like walk, you'd be like, wow, there's little pockets here and there that these deer can actually bed in that you can't yeah. see from a vehicle. You can't see from a road. And there's two tracks in all that country. People just drive two tracks next to coolies, glass down inside of them. But like, once you get out and move around, you realize that deer know where these little safe pockets are. Sure. And that's when you're going to find them. I've seen deer just like literally bed down where you can't see anything about it, but you get over there and look and like, I definitely can tell why those bucks, and those does are bedded there because they're just totally hidden from any other road hunters around there. Yeah. Um, I want to stay on this one for a second because I'm really excited about this hunt. Um, is there any, like, you know, since I am basically completely coming in fresh on this, are there any um, specific types of terrain features or even, like, stuff to, to just 
be aware of or to look for when you're e-scouting? Like you mentioned something about earlier about like north facing, just like from a beginner's level, um, what kind of stuff are you looking for maybe when you start researching? Yeah, that country is totally different than mountain hunting because everyone knows mm-hmm. I love mountain hunting and almost all like e-scouting stuff I ever talk about is all mountain hunting. But the way I, I approach like this more open country stuff is I'm just trying to find deep canyons, like big coulee country. It could have big ponderosa pines in it, or it could just have, you know, little pin, pinion juniper. Like, I think they're just like little juniper, like sagebrush, not sagebrush, juniper bushes that are like four feet tall. Yeah. Like any sort of little pine cover, like anywhere you see brush. And just a little covered pin- for them to get away from wind and whatnot. We get away from wind. Yeah. They'll bed in these like just little brush choke canyons that you just like, you can't really glass into them. But like, you know, there's, there's deer in there. And a lot of times if you have snow too, I will glass tracks up a lot, mm-hmm. see which way the deer are going into that stuff. But like anytime in that country, like, honestly, it sounds like I'm just saying like a basic statement, but you see cover and you see any sort of stuff where they can hide in and get away from people. Like there's going to be deer in there and you end up walking in there like later after you've glassed it, maybe you push the deer out or they left and you walk in there, you'll see all these little deer beds cut everywhere in the, in the bank, like deer beds that have been there for 30 some years. It's like, yeah. But like glassing in all those little spots and even another good strategy too is you, sometimes you can get on these big little coolies and uh, if you haven't seen a lot of deer, you're like, man, it's really thick timber down below me or, you know, a lot of stuff I can't really see in and but you're just creeping up there. You got the wind, right? Like a lot of times we'll do is we'll just take big boulders and drop them down into that timber. Oh. And like, you actually like, you have to be kind of ready. And this is the hard part about trying to shoot like a bigger deer because all mule deer when they're walking away from you look big. Yeah, <laughs> but, a lot, but a lot of times during that type of year, there's does in there. You spook those does. The does might run a little bit. They'll stop, and that buck will just be like, "Oh, where are these does going? I'm just gonna go follow all the does." Like, and he'll stop again, and you might have like a 150, 200 yard shot of a standing buck just like looking around, like, "Why did we just leave here?" Like, there was just a crashing noise in the <laughs> Dude, brush. That's a like, great oh, little tidbit. <laughs> so, like, that's a great thing to do. And like that time of year, I'm also just like really focused on doe groups because like they are mm. rutting, and the Montana yeah. rut is pretty hot and heavy. And so you find does and a lot of times you'll see bucks like run in, check a bunch, check a bunch of does and then he'll just bounce. Hmm. And then it's just like a foot race. Like you can follow that buck for a long time as long as he doesn't see you. Cause he's most of the time, like as long as you don't spook the does, like you're fine to keep trailing bucks and you'll find eventually that buck will slow down, find another doe group, check all those does out. And like, you'd be, be like, well, yeah, he's at this does tonight. I couldn't get a shot off on him. Maybe he'll be there tomorrow. Most of the time. He's probably not going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> he's already either done his thing or another buck pushed him off or those, none of those does are hot and he's moving again. Yeah. Like we, we had a buck a couple of years ago. I messed up and it was a weird situation where we had this big giant deer and it was a bunch of does and we made a big stock onto it. And I was actually facing directly West as the sun was setting horrible position to be in because like my sun glare was all in our optics, all in my rifle scope. And uh, then I like sat down to shoot. Like, oh, my dad's like, oh, here's all the, all the does. Like the buck's going to be right behind it. Buck comes up, stop, stops there. And I can see it's a good, good deer, had a decent rack. But like I was, again, looking right into the sun, uh, shot the deer, deer falls. Dad's like, yeah, you're awesome. He shot the big deer, you know, we're high-fiving. All of a sudden, start walking a little bit. All of a sudden, another buck pops up. And it was actually the big buck. Uh, so we had no clue there was another buck in the area. Yeah. It was a similar deer, but it wasn't the actual big deer. And so it's like, you never know how much, like you have to make sure, okay, there was five does, there was one buck or it was, you know, two bucks that are decent. There's one little smaller buck. Make sure you know exactly what you're going to shoot because this is like, 
you know, a really good deer for that area. And I just messed up and shot the other deer, <laughs> which was still fine, you know, still, yeah. still a deer, still, you know, excited about it. But like my brother had a tag and he wasn't with at that point. And we met up with my brother the next day. I was like, Hey, let's go back in there and try to kill that deer. Went right back in there, even though like, we had shot, you know, he wasn't that spooked because he was dumb in the rut. He was pretty well wanted to find some does. We actually found him five miles away the next day, running a different group of does. And we ended up shooting him. Mm. Like just covering country. We're like, he's got to be around here somewhere. And we just kept doing like, big, long hikes. And we'd get back in the truck, relocate around another big hike. And eventually we relocate him. Like, how do you move that far? Like he wasn't really spooked because I shot that other deer, but like he was just checking doe groups and just kept moving and moving. Yeah. And so like, how do you, you, oh, sorry. No, how her, do you keep water like, or get water in that hunt? Cause I've already heard that the breaks country is tough for water. And then I'm thinking yeah. if you're bringing your own water, it's going to freeze. Yep. What, <laughs> any tips there? Yep. So the, the biggest thing I've, I've done is try to stockpile any sort of water in little like drone, drone light bags, those MSR ones, like six liters. Uh-huh. And I'll try to pack as much as I can. Every night we'll try to melt snow. Like I've seen some of my films, you always see them like melting snow on top of mm-hmm. my like seek outside, you know, uh, stove there. And then during the day when we leave, I actually wrap all that water inside my sleeping bag. Mm. So that way it's kind of insulated from the cold. It's, it's like, it's going to, some of it's probably gonna be frozen, but like it protects it enough where it's the not next day. It's completely solid. Yeah. Like there's not a lot of water in any of those like coolie country, you know, like sometimes you'll find maybe a little seep, but obviously it's going to be frozen or just nasty looking water. Yeah. And so water is the hardest part. That's why I like a lot of that country, like if it snows, you're going to be golden. And if it's wet snow, it's even a little bit more beneficial for you because you make a lot more water content out of that wet snow. But it's the, it's probably another thing too, that just keeps, it's that barrier of entry again. Like if you get yeah. out in that sweet spot way away from there and you're there every single day and you don't have to hike two miles to get to it. And like, you can make do with a little bit of water or say, Hey, I'm just gonna go out for two days. I know how much water I need for two days and then go back and resupply or have a big jug in your truck. And again, keep it in your truck, keep a bunch of blankets around it. So it doesn't freeze while you're gone. But it's like, that's the part that I think a lot of people just miss because you know, they don't realize that you take for granted. At, you take water. for granted. Like you, yeah. you need, need water, you need the gear and you're just not willing to do it. So you're like, Oh yeah, that's why a hotel sounds great. Yeah. Turn that, turn that faucet, like we said, and just get that water easily. But <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, so speaking of melting snow, um, I saw one more Ridge. Yep. Great, great film, by the way. Um, and, uh, first of all, well, so my Idaho tag, I think is in similar terrain that you're, yep. that, that film was in. Um, I'm also going with Luke. Um, and we're going to tag team it. Like we're both hunting and both filming. Oh, you're going with the Luke, the Luke. Oh man. My homie. Yeah. I, we did a podcast together and we just hit it off and just worked out. And, um, and I was kind of like, Hey man, like we could both hunt and both film. He was like, that sounds cool. So we worked it out. So, um, how was hunting with Luke? Luke is an amazing human. Yeah. Everything, everything about that guy, I just love and just fully enjoy hiking with him. <laughs> nice. Like, and, and the, what he does with the camera, like, yeah, he's talented. He's really good at video. He's phenomenal at photos. And I like hunting with him because like, he's the guy who will do a lot of video. Cause obviously they're there to produce a film, yeah. but he's also snapping a ton of pictures at the same time. Like nice. I want to remember it as well. And every time I pack my, you know, Sony camera everywhere I go, but like, I can only take so many photos of my boots or my spotting scope or <laughs> yeah. I never actually get myself, you know, in a lot of these photos. Right. It's like, 
not for any other reason, but just like memories and, and yeah, showing totally. my family back home, like, Hey, this is what we did. We were struggling. I was you yeah. know, next to, next to a big fire in the snow. And like, so Luke's able to capture those memories and those moments that like me the curse my, of the photographer is like, you're never in the pictures. You're never in them. Yeah. And it's actually way harder than people probably think doing video and photos. Like, cause when you're doing video, your settings are kind of a certain way and it's just, it's not that easy, like to just start getting good photos. Yeah, the nice part about Luke is he will pack a ton of camera gear. <laughs> <laughs> he will have two different bodies, you know, multiple lenses. He can kind of just do whatever he needs to do. But like, yeah, Luke, you'll have a blast hunting with him. Yeah, I th- I'm looking forward to that one, man. It's gonna be, it's gonna be fun. Um, and, and at least two, I broke him in for you on that last year. So I think he's, I think he's ready for, you know, what he's going to get himself into and probably can uh, prepare a little bit more for it. Cause those mountains will eat you up. I, yeah. The bear hunt I did this year was, I think in similar type terrain. Um, and whew, God, it's steep. I mean, like steep. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, uh, me and Mark, Mark shot his bear across the river and we had to go down, up, get bear, down, up. And it was a uh, eight hour, just brutal day. Yeah. And every time you want to move camp, you're like, do I really want to move camp over there? Because, like I said, you got to drop all that elevation. You just wasted yeah. all that energy, all those calories you burned. And, like, and the mental pack. stress of going down that steep, actually, I think for me, going down is worse. Physically, it's not quite as challenging, but like you're just constant cortisol drip because you're like, don't fall, don't fall, like and yeah. just like getting slapped in the face with willows and and you add any sort of snow on there, and you're stepping on those stupid sticks that lay like vertical down the mountain, and you're just ass <laughs> over tea kettle, and you're like, oh my gosh, don't fall in the rifle, and trying to yeah, fall don't impale yourself. <laughs> yeah, but like, oh yeah, you'll have a blast. Um, so like you know, just from a high level view what's the um you know are there some tips for like you know obviously that that rut hunt during or in the kind of breaks country is a totally different hunt than um rugged you know october late october mule deer hunt so what do you kind of how's your strategy vary there uh actually varies greatly so during that like october time frame all those bucks you know they're they strip their velvet and now they're in the timber Mm-hmm. And so what I'm basically looking for is any sort of open pocket, but I'm really not glassing like open country that much because some of these bigger, mature, mature deer, they just know over the years, like come out in the open. My buddy got shot last year. You know, mm-hmm. I watched something bad happen to him. So they don't really like come out in the open, but like you can focus a lot on all that, what I call like edge habitat. Mm-hmm. So it's all that habitat, right? Where the timber meets the open. There's actually studies out there that'll tell you like, where the edge habitat and it goes in 50, 80 yards into the timber is the exact same quality of habitat that's just right outside the timber area. And so those bucks will know like, hey, they can get a lot of their nutrition right there when they're browsing. And so like, I am really just peering my eyes out into the timber and, and snow will help a lot because then you actually can see into the timber. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find any little like small timber patches. Like that looks like a spot. If I was a big old deer, I'd probably feel safe in there. I have the cover I need. You know, it's blocking from the wind and just kind of glassing and focusing in those areas and like looking all those big open slopes, like, yeah, there might be small bucks out there. Or if it's in a big burn area, you probably can have some bigger deer out in the open, but like they're going to want to be in that cover because they don't have to move that much. And if they have that edge habitat cover and all that good feed there, like they don't have to come out in the open. So you might be glassing a big hillside, like, wow, there's no deer here. 
but like he just could be in the timber and it's like do you wait and stay there for multiple days and just have that intuition in your head like there's a deer here i've glass tracks in the snow going in the timber eventually he's going to come out no one's up here spooking him i'm just going to wait my time or just like you cross that off and move to the next spot and like when do you come back like Cause there's no rut. So there's not, they're not going to be chasing does, but like you have some cold weather and you have some snow, like those deer have to be up and they have to be feeding more. And that's what I think I always try to, it's hard to plan it, but I always try to figure out like when might there be a snowstorm <laughs> yeah. or, right. you know, sometimes, sometimes I have the luxury of like, Oh, I can just chase a snowstorm and just like literally drop a hat. And like, I'm going to go hunting next week. Cause I heard it's going to be a big snowstorm, but yeah. like guys come from out East, you can't plan on that. Mm-mm. And so that's where you just got to, you know, get up high glass as much train as you can glass in the timber and like, one of the best things that I really want to get better at. And I, I use my optics almost too much. It's like a crutch to me. Like I'm always, you know, relying on everything on optics, but I really wish I was a still hunter and I could just follow a buck track in the snow and just go all day, just tracking a buck. But it's always hard because, you know, you have myself, I might have another friend, you know, Neville might be with me hunting. Mm -hmm. So that's two guys. And then we have a camera guy. So we have three total guys trying to sneak through the timber as quietly as we can in the snow, crunchy snow, you know, barely moving. Like that's a tactic. I think in October, if you can find some of those spots, like dropping a little bit of elevation and just getting in the timber and stalking them, like could be very beneficial. You always hear, you know, Robbie Denning talk about that all the time. Like yeah. grabbing a track and going on it. It's like, that's this tactic I want to become more proficient at because then it's going to add to my toolkit of, you know, different weapons I have to use. I can't just rely on optics because yeah these big deer you know they get hunted every single year even here a lot in wyoming and some of that like high alpine stuff like these deer just don't come out in the open anymore they know they're going to get shot right so, like these, these deer are timber bucks and that's when you know majority of these states have mule deer hunting seasons in october because it's challenging mm-hmm. so it's just finding little areas i think to glass or losing elevation to, gla- to find a better glassing vantage point and just constantly maybe finding ridge systems that have little finger ridges coming off but then you can maybe glass an east facing aspect then you can glass a west facing aspect, maybe glass some north timber, like just trying to figure out all those different ways you can, you know, figure out where the deer are at and what slope. And then like, oh yeah, I saw some deer on, you know, this slope of a mountain is facing this direction. Looks mm-hmm. like it's that steepness. Where else in that unit while I'm hunting, did we see some of that similar train the day before? Yeah. Maybe there's a big deer hanging out there. Yeah, it seems like always on these hunts over time, you start to figure out which habitat is the best and you can kind of key in on that towards the end. Um, on a more practical note, I know you and Luke are both pretty tall dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, what shelter did you run on that hunt? We had the seek outside Cimarron. Okay, sweet. That's what I have too. And I was wondering if it was going to be too tight for both of us, but it was plenty of room in there. Plenty of room. And I think the Cimarron's probably the ideal, like set up for two people, because I think I carried in like the shelter, the stakes, the pole. And I think Luke carried the stove. Mm-hmm. So it's great in that aspect. You can split things up a little bit, but that Cimarron is a perfect for two guys, stove, all your wood, and you can still have your backpacks inside every single night. Did you bring like a, uh, like a Silex for gear or anything, or you had all your gear in there? All the gear in there. Yep. Okay. And the, only, the only thing I definitely recommend, like most people be like, Oh yeah, late in the season, you don't have to worry about too much for like, you're not going to have any rain really. And getting your tea. You never, I never have issues with rain getting into the teepee, but like, that late season, you might be setting up your, your teepee on snow. Mm. And so once you, once you melt all that snow in your teepee, now you have a little bit of mud in there. So like yeah. having sort of some sort of ground sheet, little Tyvek, you know, roll up thing, that's going to be very beneficial. Just like not pop your pad for one reason, but yeah. then get yourself off the mud. And like in the Colorado hunt back in the day, it was a second rifle Colorado hunt. 
uh, we actually set up on snow. Like it was literally like a foot of snow and we tried our best to get all the snow out, but it was like ice on the bottom. Yeah. And we thought like, oh yeah, maybe by day three, it'll be all melted in there. It was just a giant sheet of ice every single <laughs> night that we're sleeping on. <laughs> so terrible. like having that extra, you know, Tyvek sheet and then having the pad, like I felt like in my head, I was like, oh yeah, the Tyvek's helping me, you know, insulate me a little bit more, but that heat or that cold is just going right to the Tyvek, right to your sleeping pad and making you cold. So it's like trying to get all that snow out is absolutely beneficial. Like if you can find a stick and you're just like stabbing that ice the whole entire yeah. time, trying to clear it out. Like that's why when Luke and I set up that camp we had, we really probably spent an hour with our boots, just like getting all the snow as much as we can, because we don't want that stuff to melt in there. And then when yeah. we leave, leave during the day, that's going to freeze. All that water also then makes more condensation every time you turn the stove on yeah. and crank it up. So then you have condensation to deal with in the morning. So it's just like mm-hmm. trying to figure out ways to make your camp a little more comfortable yeah. back there. Yeah, there were a couple times with the condensation. I was in a silex in this bear hunt. That was my first experience with a floorless, you know, single wall shelter. And there were a couple times the condensation got so bad and it would start raining and then there'd be raining inside my tent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd have to like get the stove out. Um, but- one, of the, one of the best tips I don't really talk about it too often because it's like one of those things that I think I just take for granted. I learned when I was doing fisheries work, backpacking all the time. And like, because I, I worked in Glacier National Park. So it's like okay. very, very wet moist areas so every time you're camping you do have condensation those little uh I can't remember what they are those little tv ads for ShamWow. oh to like yeah. to get all that condensation yeah because like, there are like, a couple times i like sacrificed a pair of underwear just to like wipe the thing down but that's that's a good one yeah, sham carry, carry a little small little sham wow and just right, get all that condensation right out when you when it builds up that's a good one because you kind of need that sometimes um oh does Luke snore? <laughs> Honest, honestly, I don't recall, but I know one of my other camera guys, Mather, he snored so much one time we were hunting in Arizona that I had to just go sleep under the stars. I had to get out of there. <laughs> Dude, for some reason, like the sound of someone snoring just drives me bananas. I can't handle it. Like I bring earplugs on every hunt just in case. Yeah. And I'm the type of person, once I fall asleep, I'm like, there could be a grizzly bear outside the tent and I would not know it at all. But like, okay. If someone's snoring right beforehand, it's going to be pretty miserable. But I think a lot of that times too, like if Luke did snore, you're just so exhausted. Yeah, it doesn't even matter. Every night, so you're just you're just passing out anyway. Yeah. But well, as, as, cool, as, as you saw in the Idaho hunt, though, that one more ridge, it's like having a warm stove in a cold environment is makes it a little difficult sometimes to wake up in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. You, might, you, you might wake up, you know, 30, 45 minutes early, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to crank the stove on, get nice and toasty in here. I'm going to go to sleep for a little bit longer. And then you push the wrong button on your phone. Like I did that one time and oh, really yeah. left in. Yeah. And I actually had a guy comment on that YouTube video today. who was like, you're a freaking idiot. Like who goes hunting and doesn't wake up in the morning. I'm like, bro, that was like day five. We're exhausted. Yeah. It's freezing cold out. And that stove again is a crutch. Cause it makes you just want to stay in there and be warm. Those armchair hunting experts love, love commenting. Don't they? Oh yeah. Is a, uh, is that, um, for both those hunts, because so I'm from Virginia, so I mean like Montana November. I'm not gonna lie, is scaring me a little bit, cold weather wise. Um, is a large uh, U-turn probably gonna keep me nice and toasty in there? Oh yeah, that'll be great. So I think I have the uh, large, just the regular one. Mm-hmm. And so I've, you know, been fortunate in the gear shop here to like test all sorts of different stoves. And at first I was like, oh yeah, you know, like I used to be this big lightweight guy and I still am a lightweight guy because I try to cut ounces everywhere I can because I carry a giant rifle. 
Yeah. And my rifle rifle weighs 14 pounds. Whoa. You know, I have a huge Swarovski 115 spotting scope right now. So that's giant. I have other optics. Like, so I try to cut weight where I can. So back in the day, I was like, man, you know, I want to get the medium, this medium stove, like a very small one to save weight. But I realized when I'm out there and I'm actually breaking sticks for that stove, because like a lot of times I just don't want to saw. I just want to get as much wood as I can to get it yeah. in the teepee to start drying that wood out. So I'll break a bunch of sticks with my foot. And it seems like all the times that I'm trying to break them with my foot, they're always a little bit too long for that medium stove. So that's why I kind of went to a large because that way I can cut them with my foot and just break the sticks and not have to worry about, you know, yeah. cutting wood and it fits in there really nice. So that's why I think the larger one is a little more beneficial for that. Yeah. Obviously sawing is really good too, because you're warming yourself up twice. I didn't even think about that. But you're going to realize that every single night you get back, you have two priorities. You have making water, which is a painful process. And it'd be a powder snow. It takes forever. And you have to find firewood. Mm. And like, you might say like, oh yeah, tonight's really a nice night. You know, it's cold out. You know, we just, we were hiking in the dark for an hour and a half trying to get back to camp. We're exhausted. We put on a lot of miles today. We'll just cut wood tomorrow. That is not a good idea. <laughs> tomorrow you might have a giant snowstorm in that yeah. evening. And now you have to go outside and cut wood in the, in the snow. And now all your other wood that might've been dry and easy to find now is buried in a layer of snow. And it's like every single evening, no matter what it is, you have to be cutting wood. Okay. It's like, and you have to be melting water because that next day you might go on a crazy pound and then you get back and again, you're exhausted. So like you have to keep yeah. just doing these steps every single night. It's like a list of chores. And like those two, I think are absolutely essential because if you don't have that warmth, you're not going to draw out your gear. Those boots are going to be frozen. And this adds that like mental reset, you know, and you're like, Oh, it's nice and warm in my, my tent and nice. Yeah. And then that, just having that extra water every single day is great. Cause when you're on those late season hunts, like we make, you know, coffee all the time when we're sitting there glassing, you know, we have bone broth and whatever else we have. It's like having all that stuff, a little extra water. is pretty nice. Yeah. And, um, and Robbie was talking a lot about just the importance of like being at your spot at the right times. Like, you know, the deer are very crepuscular, especially in October. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you ever use that kind of midday lull to kind of get some camp chores done if you're close enough to your camp? Or are you out there glassing all day? No, if we're close enough, I definitely will. But like a lot of times I'm like, I'm going out hunting during the day. Like I'm probably not going to come back to camp. Like there really isn't a reason to. So that's why the title of him, one more ridge. We just kept going one more ridge every single (laughs) day, get further and further. But like, that's why like when you're out there, sometimes we found like this perfect tree that just had all this dry, you know, like old man's beard type stuff Mm -hmm. on it, whatever that, you know, mossy looking stuff. So we grabbed all that we can. We grabbed a bunch of little small sticks that were totally dry. Cause we were making some fires while we we're glassing. We filled our backpacks full of that, like on our, on our way back in the yeah. dark. And so then we've had all that like good fire starter. Cause sometimes that's the hardest part is trying to find those little small sticks and whatever else can burn really easy. Yes. Obviously we have like, you know, Vaseline, so cotton balls or have some of that pyro putty, but like, or toilet paper, but like it's best if you can just find all that small stuff and I'll just carry that back to camp. Yeah. And eat. Yeah, I was doing that the whole time in Idaho too. We'd be hiking back and I'd just like be stuffing my pockets with like because it was like rainforest the entire time. It rained almost every single day. So if you were able to like find like a pile of sticks under a rock or like, you know, sometimes the like the heartwood of a tree gets rotted out and it's dry in there, you can pull out a bunch of it. Yep. I would just be like stuffing my pockets with it. Mark would be like, What are you doing? <laughs> but you're, uh you're surviving, that's what you're doing. Exactly. Um that's cool, man. Any other like um just like woodsmanship or like, you know, 
tips for stuff you might not think about or like gear stuff like that ShamWow thing that comes to mind? Huh, let me for those right type now. of those type of hunts. I think the, I think one of the biggest things too is like you think about it and you're like, yeah, it sounds like a great idea, but just like having backup lighters or backup fire starter things. That's why I said like the Vaseline soaked cotton balls. I'll try to use those if I can. I'll have pyro putty. And every single day when I'm leaving camp, I bring that stuff with me. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I don't need it during the day, but you might get out there. All of a sudden a snowstorm hits or you're like, man, this is a really good spot. Like I even mentioned to Luke once. I was like, it would have been great if we would have had more stuff with us that day. Cause I, I was like, we're in a great area. There's a lot of like look great terrain. What if we just camped here overnight, just suffered it and just made a big giant bonfire Yeah. and slept next to the fire and just all of our down clothes and just be like, there's certain times when that might be the best option, even though it might suck and you might not get any sleep, but you're putting yeah. yourself in a better position instead of hiking all the way back or everybody have done that thing where you drop a thousand feet, climb up, you know, 800 feet on the other side, like man camps a long ways away. Sure. Wish I brought some of that extra fire starter that's sitting back at camp right, right yeah. now. It's like Plus that's a survival that, thing too. I mean, you never know. I mean, like you never know. Yeah. And well, even, good, even just some of the other small stuff too, like salt pills. Like mm. salt pills are so great in the mountains. Like you get cramped a little bit or obviously yeah. you're not having a lot of water. You might be a little dehydrated, pop some salt pills during the day. Like you just feel like your money because you can just keep going because you're not cramping up. You're resting a little bit easier. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, so let's see. What else I got here on my little list here? Oh, um, I'm just curious. You talked about your gun earlier. Um, so I've always – well. I've had really good luck on game animals with my 6.5 Creedmoor. Now, I personally, I'm shooting a copper mono bullet, a mm-hmm. uh, hand load, and so, you know, I've shot an antelope with it, a white tail, and a black tail. All three of them, I mean, dropped. Like, the white tail was heavily quartering, too. I think he ran, like, 10 feet. The other ones just, like, were done. Um, I know mule deer are a little bit bigger, but at the same time, um, you know, as far as elk go, I'm going 300 wind mag. So I, this is new. I just got this guy up here. I was looking um, at that earlier. I was yeah. eyeing it up. <laughs> I, I, I already like the break on it. And I can't. I can barely see it, but I'm like, ooh, that's a nasty break. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know which one. I, so I looked at these at the expo. The Seekins Havoc element. Oh yeah, dude, that's a sexy looking gun. Yeah, I just put the scope on too. Um. I tried like every rifle I could get my hands on at the expo, and this one was just like the one I just kept coming back to. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. Um, but I got this because on that Idaho hunt, I also have an elk tag. Yep. Um, so I didn't want to be undergunned, right? So you're the type of person who's never seen all the funny memes on the internet making. Oh, I've seen them. More. <laughs> oh, I've seen them. <laughs> That's why I barely like didn't even want to bring it up, but. uh yeah, so, I don't think I don't think you can ever be overgunned. No, no. Like, but like, like if I'm doing if I'm doing so, what I'm trying to say is, in my experience, the Creedmoor has been very good on deer sized game, and I've heard that yeah. before. But I know mule deer are bigger. Um, are you? Would you be comfortable hunting with the right bullet, six point five Creedmoor for mule deer? or Are you going three hundred wind mag all the way? Yeah, no, I would never. I would. Like it's just my total personal opinion. I don't care what people say about it. it has good ballistics. It does this or that at distance, you know, has the right energy. It's fast. It's like, 
what happens in paper and ballistics are totally different than what happens in real world while you're hunting. Mm-hmm. Like I care about an efficient kill. And like my dad would always say like around like race cars, like there's no replacement for displacement. Mm. You know, the big, the bigger the motor the more power you can make yeah. you know, the bigger, bigger the rifle, more knockdown power. And like what I always think about too, it's like, if I'm going to shoot at a big animal, this animal is living in the mountains every single day. Yeah. It's strong. It's will to live. And some of these big old bucks, they just want to survive. Yeah. Like one bullet sometimes, like even a well-placed shot might not knock them down. Let's say that buck's on a ridge. You shoot him. You don't know if it was a great shot or not. You think it was. He runs over the ridge and you're like, well, now we have to go over there and we don't know the outcome of this. Whereas maybe you shot a bigger gun, it would have just dropped him in his tracks. Now he's not in the timber. Now if it was an elk, for example, maybe he's now, you know, a half mile further away and some nasty stuff and you're just, there's no snow on the ground. And like, for me, I'm slightly colorblind so i can't see blood on grass Mm. at all and so like you're tracking around there trying to find that animal and you're just like man like maybe if i had a bigger gun on that circumstance and just you know like it's hunting you're not going to get the perfect shot every single time it could be heavily courting away and you got to shoot through a gut yeah grass and twigs to get up through there and so that's why to me like even when i was in minnesota my dad would always make us shoot 300 wind mags so even in a whitetail stand in northern Minnesota, when my family goes hunting, every single one of them has a 300 wind mag. They're all shooting over 200 grain bullets. <laughs> and just like, and I don't know if this is like, uh, uh, what was I going to say about, uh, oh, I don't know if this is a bad saying to say, but like I say it to a bunch of my friends, like big guns take lives. <laughs> it's just, it, to me, it's just a straight fact. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I'm with you, man. But like, there is something to be said though, about, you know, someone wants to be comfortable behind their gun, you know, they want, they shoot it really great. Maybe someone who flinches really easy, then I would totally say like, you should shoot what you're most comfortable with. Yeah. But like, if you're going to shoot something bigger, like I have 300 wind mag and I, you know, just started shooting a 300 rum this year Mm. and I shoot these guns all the time to the point where like, I don't feel the recoil at all. Sometimes I even feel like I can keep my eyes open when I shoot, but I shoot a lot. Yeah. And so like, I feel very confident behind it, but if it's someone who, you know, shoots really great with it and they know to wait for the perfect shot, but like I said, hunting sometimes don't give you the perfect shot. We all want to make it, make it happen. But like you had a big deer in front of you, like I said, slightly courting away, you had to pump through a lot of stuff to get, to break something down. You might wish you had something bigger. Are you shooting hand loads? Yep. Hand loads. I hand load everything. So, okay. Cause that's been, it's been tough. I mean, uh, you know, did you did you have a large stockpile? I guess like, I, I don't deep. know how you shoot a lot in this environment. Like I've been like scrimping. Like yeah, I'm on every single notification for components, powder, primers. Yeah, e- email lists don't work. I'm using those other services <laughs> like Ammo Seek and all that stuff. Trying to okay. buy anything I can. So I had a decent stockpile, and it's just like buying enough brass and buying enough bullets. Like even one guy in this office just getting reloading, and he's like, "Oh yeah, a bunch of bullets popped up. I only bought a hundred. I'm like, wait, you only bought a hundred and there was more you could buy. He's like, yeah, there wasn't a limit. I'm like, you got to buy everything in bulk. Every time there's something available, like, like right now, I think I have multiple thousands of different sort of bullets for every gun I shoot. I have enough brass, like primers are the hard part right now. I don't have a lot of primers. So I'm kind of cautious, but like, even when I'm doing like load development right now, I'm trying to break in virgin brass. Like I'm shooting primers that I won't shoot hunting just to get that one fire brass. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to burn up my 215 Magnum primers, you know, I just want to yeah. save those. Yeah. And that, that's, um, a lot of reason too, why I went with 300 Win Mag over like a, you know, 300 PRC or some of these other like newer, sexier, 
um, caliber is just because like when I was about to place that order for that gun, I went online and I was like, okay, I can buy seven boxes right now of good 300 mag ammo. Yep, 300 mag. And it's just like you yep. have a better chance of being able to run down in a normal environment to the store and grab a box of 300 mag. It may not be like the best ever, but it's going to go in your gun. Yep, that's the exact thing I was just going to bring up. It's like all these off-the-wall, you know, new cartridges that are out there. It's like if you knock your scope on a hunt and let's say you don't have enough ammo with you to yep. reset it in, you go down to a mom-and-pop shop in the middle of Idaho, middle of Montana, are they going to have what you need because it's right. such a specialty new thing? Probably not. Right. But I guarantee you they'll have 7mm, 300 wind mag. 30-06. 30-06, all the classic stuff. Like they'll yeah. have some of that. It's not going to be like you said. They're not going to be the same probably. Right. But it'll get you by. In a it pan. will fit in your gun and shoot. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's cool, man. Um, so, yeah, um, coming up on time here, I don't want to like take up too much of your time, but um, you are officially a podcaster now. Officially a podcast. And this is a very, <laughs> this is such a funny thing. So, so I got interviewed for Go Hunt in uh, really early 2014. So, Go Hunt wasn't a thing yet at all. They're like, you know, called me on the mountain like literally like what lorenzo told you i was on the mountain when they called me that's because i I said jokingly lorenzo was like i just imagine you like pulling brady off a mountain somewhere like all scrubby and he's like yeah it's basically what happened yeah the one (laughs) job the first interview i had i was literally skiing on the mountain and i like had this phone call i was like crap i gotta find a place i can you know not in the wind right now and answer this phone call so like right away when they interviewed me and they said, oh, what would you do at Go Hunt or editorial? Like, what do you think could be, you know, something that would drive, you know, a lot of traffic or good things to the website? Like, obviously, written content. I love writing. But I was like, you know, there's this thing on the <laughs> internet right now called podcasts. They're not really that big. There's not very many hunting ones. This is 2014. And I was like, yeah. Go Hunt right away. Like, I would love to start a podcast and just just chat with cool people, have cool stories, talk about stuff. Like, yeah, you know, not sure about this podcast thing. And <laughs> Here we are in 2022 and Go Hunt finally has a podcast. Yeah. Are you enjoying it? Oh, I love it a lot. The, the coolest thing is like, so it's like myself, Chris Neville, and then Trail Kreitzer, like yeah. podcast hosts for Big Hunt guys. And it's like, we always thought around here, like there's so many conversations we have at the office of like, you know, random draw stuff or tactics or e-scouting or something like, why don't we just, you know, setting up a camera is a pain. If we could just podcast and tell those stories, like, yeah it's going to come off really, really genuine because we're just, we're just three guys, you know, BSing with each other, but like, we're not just having, you know, a bunch of like, it is structured a little bit, but like it's gold. Yeah. We we can talk about hot topics or, you know, we want to talk about something that it would take trailer myself, like a half a week to write an article about that, or we can jump on the podcast and just talk about e-scouting and how we Mm -hmm. do things or, you know, how, how insider can, you know, benefit you. Like we can explain it so easily through words, yeah. on a podcast and like you know we've had some cool people on like i said on you earlier like i just got to figure out a way to do these remote stuff because like there's so many cool guests out there that would love that on the podcast and just even like random people too hit us up on instagram who are like you know i've been a follower for go hunt for years you know you guys helped me out so much like that's a guy i want to get on the podcast and be like what is it about what we do that you love like let's yeah. explain this passion that you have of like how we helped you like yeah. Like we like trail and I and Neville can talk about, you know, ways we use go hunt all the time, but it's like, we work here. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a given, but if I can get yeah. some other cool people that can talk about different things or how they use things differently. Like it might even be something that we'll learn because you yeah. know, we use these tools all the time. And 
so podcasting has been phenomenal. I just, I love it. Yeah. Love the, love kind of being a host. I'm trying to figure out ways to ask questions. And sometimes, you know, trail and I both are get really long winded. And so trail will talk for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, trail, I didn't get a word in. <laughs> and he always says like, gosh, you have to just like interrupt me. I'm like, I'm not going to interrupt you in the podcast, but like, what are you yeah. saying is gold. But like, I also had something to say. And it's like trying to find that balance of pulling out good questions with each other yeah. and just trying to keep it worthwhile for people who listen. Yeah. That's really fun, man. You get to just network and get to know people that you may not otherwise, you know, get to have an hour long conversation with, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, when you're creating content in the same time and learning. So, but yeah, I mean, dude, like I said earlier, I mean, you know, go hunt's been so helpful for me. It's been there since I started. So, uh, I mean, this guy right here would not have happened without go hunt. I probably wouldn't have my, one of my deer tags this year without go. Well, maybe both of them probably. I mean, um, I use it all the time. So, um, uh, it's cool to link up with you guys a little more and, and, uh, kind of partner with you some, but, um, yeah, man, um, where can, you know, where can folks find you if they want to see some more of your stuff or check out the podcast or your films or whatnot? Yeah. So the podcast is pretty easy. It's, uh, we, we were thinking about a name for the longest time. The name's hilarious. Big hunt guys, big hunt guys. <laughs> so if you've seen any of uh, Chris Neville stuff on Instagram, like he hates Instagram captions, like he's rarely on Instagram now, but he's always like, you know, big sunset guy, or he shot a buck in Montana last year. It was like big mule deer guy. And that's all he says about like his captions <laughs> or like big backpack guy in his backpacks, you know, fully loaded down. So like Lorenzo was like, you know, you guys should name it big hunt guys. <laughs> and we're like, that is actually golden. Like yeah, it's funny. It's kind of, it's kind of Neville's idea as well, the big hunt guys. But like, I think Lorenzo actually said it first, but like just taking all of Neville's randomness and throwing it as a name. It's like, it encompasses every one of us, you know, it's kind of funny because you have Neville who, you know, does all the banter. I'm kind of dry and just to the point. And then you got trail who's a genius and everything gear and research. Yeah. So big hunt guys. Uh, yeah. On YouTube is go hunt. we try to do, you know, I think some of our films are stuff that people should watch. And just, if you watch them, not even for like the entertainment factor, watch them for the educational part. Mm. Like I always watch hunt films or like even podcasts, I guess when I listen to them, like with a sponge, like I want to soak up every bit of information I have. So you might watch it and be like, Oh yeah, this is the hunt. Like, trail never going elk hunting they're going to kill a bull at the end or they might not kill a bull it's like but all those things throughout that whole film mm-hmm. like there's could be like one or two things in there that you could learn from and then add to your totally. hunting arsenal yeah Always so like i think our, our films on youtube are great obviously go hunt website we have a lot of free content people can read all the time and then we have our insider only like strategy based articles that are like a little bit too juicy to you know open up to everyone to mm-hmm to read. And if you ever read any of my, you know, articles that are either behind the paywall in front of the paywall, like I said, I'm a guy that gets really long winded, definitely, definitely get into the weeds. And I always apologize. Like big, right guy, big, right guy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then you have this Instagram. I'm just like, I think you'd find me anywhere. Just Brady, Brady J Miller. It's Brady underscore J underscore Miller. But I try to showcase a lot of cool stuff I do. And mainly like, I just like sharing with people because again, someone might not live where I live or be mm-hmm. fortunate enough to do what I do. And so that's what the whole reason I got into writing, I got into photography is like, I just wanted to share my experiences with my family yeah, and then just help people along the way. Like I've made so many millions of mistakes, wasted so much gas in my life. Like I'm just trying to give back with whatever I can give back about breaking down some barriers for people to come out West and hunt or do anything. Just like, obviously I'd love you hunt mule deer, but if you want to hunt elk, I'm totally cool with that because then that means, you know, more mule deer tags for me, but <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't know do. either. You're like a killer photographer, man. I saw some of your stuff from bear season. I was like, dang, okay. The, the, the problem Big photo is, guy. 
big photo guy. I love photos. Are you shooting an A7S or what do you got back there? Yeah. Yeah. A7R4. Okay. You got the new one? Yeah. 35 prime. Absolutely phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I hate packing it because again, that thing is heavy. You got to pack extra batteries, all the memory cards. Oh, don't even start, man. I'm going in with two bodies and a 70 or I mean a, uh, what is that? Two to 600. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> the, only thing, the only thing I hate though, about being so into photos and like, you know, I want to showcase my parents and all my friends back in Minnesota, what I do. It's like, I have endless drives full of scenery shots that are just yeah perfect. And I'm like, I can't share them with anyone. Oh man. I guess I got to keep those all tight because you your mom, she's not going to steal your hunting spot. <laughs> exactly. But you got to text them and it's like, I'd rather just post them big and somewhere they can see it. And yeah, you know, obviously, obviously I can make a photo album, make it private and some other service, but like, yeah, I love photos just as a way to like remember stuff, and also just take photos just to I know what the train looks like. Yeah. Like this week when I was scouting in Idaho, I was snapping so many photos on my my camera that I would never share with anyone because it shows scenery. But then I opened up my computer, big screen, and now I'm going to dive into the terrain because I can look at you know go hunt maps all day in 3D. But it's like if I'm there and taking yeah. them out there, I might as well be collecting data. So those sure. photos to me are also a data source that I can look at for research for future hunts or for my hunt coming up this year. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Um, well, cool, man. Um, it's been good talking to you. Anything else that you want to hit on that I didn't ask you about? Not really. No, I'm just excited for the season. Like that's why I hate. Me too. I love it, and I hate it that we're in the summer. I just want it to be fall and going up and scouting yeah. this weekend. And I'm like, my gosh, it's such a long ways away. How can I pass the time right now? You could be in Virginia, so just remember <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> or I could just jump on podcasts and we could just hang out and chat all the time. So I'm all, always open for that. Yeah. Well, I'm saying like anytime you think like, oh, it's so far away. Oh, you meant like hunting season so far away. I thought you meant like physically far away. Well, oh, both. Okay. Yeah. Well, at I, least you I, can I could, drive to your hunting spot in less than three days. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can imagine. You must just blow through podcasts on those trips. Oh, man. Yeah. Audiobooks. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I've listened to some killer audiobooks, but. Anyway, um, well, yeah, man, um, thanks for your time. It was good talking to you. Hopefully we can link up sometime again. Um, I don't know, maybe even one day we can hunt together or something. Exactly. Let's just get some of these on the books. Cause like you said, sometimes I get hard to pin down. So yeah, be, per- be persistent. Cause I love, I love podcasts. I'll chat about anything, rifle stuff, optics, glassing. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to have you back, man. Maybe we want to get into, maybe we could squeeze in another one, uh, before this fall or something and, or, update after the season or both who knows exactly e-scouting is a big thing e-scouting is a little bit hard to talk about on like you know podcasts but there is definitely some little tricks and sometimes you get me going on e-scouting and i dive into stuff i probably shouldn't talk about i'm like gosh i should hold that back note to self get brady to talk about e-scouting yeah exactly (laughs) all right cool man well thanks again and uh we'll, we'll talk soon all right appreciate you buddy